this earth before us, down its feel its keenest woe, lone and dreary, faint and weary, through the desert down its go, spirit of our God descending, fill our hearts with heavenly joy, love with every passion blending, pleasure that can never cloy, thus provided, pardoned, guided, nothing can our peace destroy. James Edmiston, 1791-1867 Prologue, The Taste of Fear Fear of imminent bodily harm has an unpleasant flavor in the most literal sense. Bile rises from the stomach and plants in one's throat a sharp, bitter, metallic taste. So it was with J.I.'s American friend as he and the birthday girl drifted out to sea off the coast of Maui on a capsized catamaran, with a large shark swimming quietly round and round them. So it was with his Canadian friend, as she trod water in the chilly Pacific after the boat had sunk. J.I. has known the taste himself, and probably you have too. You would be a remarkable person if you have not. Other forms of fear may not leave the same bad taste in the mouth, but metaphorically, they can spoil the taste of your life. They cloud your spirit by day. They keep you awake at night. They undermine your concentration at all hours, and they make you unscared on a regular basis. Of all the modes of drivenness that human life embraces, being driven by fears, perhaps in the long run, the most uncomfortable and the most damaging. It spoils your relationships by draining your capacity to live. It robs you of wisdom by keeping you looking sideways rather than straight ahead. And it is a very hard disability to overcome. During the past century and a half, the topic of guidance from God has become a focus of just such fear in many Christian hearts. Christian people have always rejoiced in the certainty that God, in His omniscient wisdom and grace, is working out His plan for our lives, and that He helps us in our decision-making and strengthens us to do what obedience to His revealed will requires of us. But in some quarters, the exuberant, outward-looking holiness modeled by such men as John Wesley and William Wilberforce shrank into a legalistic pietism. Pietism, which means living by the belief that nothing in life matters so much as my personal relationship with God, is right and good. But legalism, which means living by the belief that the quality of my relationship with God depends on my turning in some form of correct performance, is neither. In this case, two specific things went wrong. First, the notion spread that getting and following direct guidance from God as something above and beyond making common-sense decisions in Christian terms was a matter of great importance in the Christian life. Second, God's plan for the Christian individual's life came to be thought of like a travel itinerary, in which making planned connections is crucial, and missing a connection wrecks the plan and spoils the rest of the journey. For now, a second-rate plan B must be formed to replace the original ideal, but now impracticable plan A, and this will certainly involve some measure of loss. In consequence, fearful 
and perplexed anxiety with regard to decision-making became widespread among evangelical people. Believers felt unable to make far-reaching decisions until they had received some special personal indication from God as to what they should do. Fear of making what, from God's standpoint, would be wrong commitments vocationally, professionally, socially, relationally, and matrimonially induced a kind of inner paralysis that resulted in good and desirable commitments not being made. Because people could not bring themselves to make any commitments at all, which was, of course, an instance of decision-making in itself, though it was not usually seen that way. This has not been a happy state of affairs. The irony of the situation was that teachers, there once were many of them, who warned against sentencing oneself to the second-rateness of a plan B.